to uh, a sermon series looking at uh, prophecies of Jesus um, and what the Old Testament says about the Messiah to come. And so we're going to uh, pitch up our reading in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Isaiah was this uh, guy I always think of him as kind of shabby looking with crazy curly hair, a bit unkempt and a scruffy beard walking around Jerusalem. And his book contains mostly prophecy and prose. And uh, basically he was writing, we think, around 681 BC. And because um, I've got uh, a maths qualification, I know that that's 681 years before Jesus actually pitched up. So um, we're going to read from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Uh, we're going to read it all. It's quite long, but uh, bear with me. You've only got... 160 minutes of my preaching left, so not today. (laughs) Isaiah 53 says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and a, sorry, and familiar, familiar? you've got a totally different version, and familiar with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and yet we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercessions for the transgressors. This prophecy is absolutely astounding. Who would believe that 
that God would choose to save the world through a humble, suffering servant, rather than a glorious, victorious king. This idea that Isaiah paints is totally contrary to human pride and the way the world thinks. But we know with hindsight that God doesn't often work the way we expect. This Messiah that Isaiah speaks of, his strength is shown in the humility, the suffering and mercy. It says very early on in this prophecy that there was nothing beautiful or majestic in the physical appearance of the servant. This was no Johnny Depp. This was just Joe Bloggs walking down the street. Israel would miscalculate the servant's importance. They would consider him just an ordinary guy. Even though Jesus would not attract large followings based on his physical appearance, he would, of course, bring salvation and healing. It says the man of sorrows was despised and rejected by those around him. And that's still true today. But I'm left wondering, I don't know if you are, but how could this guy from the Old Testament understand the idea of Jesus dying for our sins? Actually, the Messiah bearing that punishment. The sacrifice it suggests is the idea, but it's more obviously sacrifices at that time, one lamb would be killed. But that's quite a leap, isn't it? From going from a lamb being killed for your sin to a person being killed for your sin. It's quite different to think of God's chosen servant as being the lamb that was slain. But even back then, even in the Old Testament, God was kind of pulling away at the curtains of time, allowing the people of Isaiah's day to look ahead at the suffering of Jesus, which of course would result in the forgiveness that is made available for everyone. Isaiah speaks of Israel, God's people, straying from God and compares them to wandering sheep. And he says that God's going to send this Messiah to bring them back into the fold. And of course, we've got the hindsight of, of Easter. We know this. But back in then, they didn't have a clue what Isaiah was talking about. Just said that in the Old Testament, they, they offered animal sacrifices for their sin. And here is this sinless saviour of the Lord offering himself for all our sins. And by sins, I mean our mistakes, our mess up, those thoughts, those actions, those words. The Messiah suffered for us. And Isaiah points that this suffering would make us righteous in God's sight. And of course, we as Christians, believers today, know that. We, we live in that. We feel that. We embrace that. But how do we respond? He says, my servant will justify the many. My servant will justify the many. This tells of a great family of believers who will become righteous, not by their own works, not by deeds, but by the work of the cross. But why? 
Why would Jesus choose to suffer in this way? Because he loves us, we respond. That's true, that's wonderfully true, but forgive me, it's only partly true. That's not the whole reason. There's much more to the reason of why Jesus suffered on that cross. Jesus saw something that made him stay on the cross. It always amazes me. Has everyone seen The Passion of the Christ? It's quite horrific, but um, the torture that Jesus went through, and I think this is, this is the Son of God. He could have easily just kind of flexed a bicep and just taken out the people that were punishing him. But he chose not to. God didn't send his son. Jesus chose to come. It was a collaboration within the Trinity. What kept Jesus on that cross? What stopped Jesus going, do you know what, sod this, I'm the son of God. These people have just rejected me. I might as well just give in because this hurts. Mm. This is painful. What stopped Jesus from doing that? Well, I, I believe that as the Roman soldiers pressed his arm, Jesus rolled his head to the side. And with his cheek resting on the wood, he saw a mallet, yes, a nail, yes, the soldier's hand, yes. But he saw something else. Jesus saw something else. He saw the hand of God. The hand of God is a mighty hand. The hands of Jesus, hands of incarnation at his birth, hands of liberation as he healed people, hands of truth as he taught, hands of inspiration, hands of dedication as he served those around him, and hands of salvation as Jesus died. Between his hand and the wood, there was a list, a long list of all our mistakes, our sins, the old-fashioned word is transgressions. And the reason why Jesus refused to close his fist was he saw that list. He knew the price of that list of mistakes and sins was death. He knew the source of all that rubbish was you and I. And since Jesus couldn't bear life and eternity without us, he chose to suffer. The hand squeezing the handle was not a Roman infantryman. The force behind the hammer wasn't an angry mob. The verdict behind the death sentence was not decided by jealous Jews. Jesus himself chose the cross. He knew the purpose of the suffering was to place your sin and your mistakes, my sin and my mistakes, where they could be hidden by the sacrifice and covering of his blood. So Jesus himself swung that hammer. The same hand that still deceives stills our guilt. The same hands that cleanse the temple cleanses our heart. It's the hand of God. And as the hands of Jesus opened for us, so the doors of heaven opened for us as well. And this is something that Isaiah could not have imagined. And this is something that the listeners who Isaiah was writing to couldn't comprehend. 
couldn't understand because of course we know 600 odd years later when Jesus pitches up they miss it they don't get it but Isaiah way back then was giving us a glimpse communicating that this God is different this God is about inclusion this God is about turning the world upside down on what we think it goes against everything our human nature says God was bringing about a new kingdom, not, not by power as we understand it, not by force, but by welcoming people in, by humility, by suffering. If I'm honest, I would have done it differently. If I was God, I wouldn't have done it that way. Ask me how God should have redeemed the world, and I'm thinking white horses, flashing swords, evil flat on its back, God on a throne, but God on a cross. Split-lipped, puffy-eyed, blood-masked God on a cross. A sponge thrust in his face, a spear plunged in his side, dice tossed at his feet. No, I wouldn't have written redemption that way. But then again, I wasn't asked to, and neither were you. We weren't asked to design the hour, but we have been asked to respond to it. In order for the cross of Christ to become the cross of our life, you and I need to bring something to the cross. With scarred hands, Jesus offers us forgiveness. Through torn skin, he offers us acceptance. We weren't asked to paint the sign or carry the nails. We're not asked to wear the spit that the Roman soldiers spat on him. We're not asked to wear a crown of thorns. But we are asked to walk the path of the cross and leave something there. We don't have to, of course, many don't. Many pondered of what Christ has left on the cross. Few have pondered what we must leave. We can observe the passages in Isaiah. We can observe what Jesus actually did in fulfilment of that prophecy. We can analyse it and theorise it, but until we leave something at the cross, we haven't embraced the cross. The blood that Jesus bled was for you. The spear he took was for you. The nails he felt were for you. The signs that Jesus left from the Old Testament to the New Testament all for you. Jesus did all that for you. How are you going to respond? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this prophecy. We thank you that way back then your Holy Spirit was pointing towards Jesus. We thank you that Jesus' Jesus's leadership, Jesus' sacrifice is nothing like we know or can comprehend of what saving stuff looks like. Jesus, we thank you that you chose 
to die in our place that we can have a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. Holy Spirit, we pray that you help us now to think about what we should leave at the cross. Holy Spirit, as we prepare to take communion, we pray that you prepare our hearts. Help us to know what we must leave at the cross in order to embrace the cross. Holy Spirit, come and reveal Jesus to us this morning. <coughs> we ask this in Jesus' name.